Hi, welcome back to EPIC. Today's lesson three, and we're going to look at the history of climate change very briefly, and also the role of greenhouse gases, how they fit into that model. So I'm going to go back to the past, and I'm going to work my way up to today. So the scientific method, as we saw, it's very nice, and you know, most of the time it works. It's very efficient indeed. Uh, but when climatologists were communicating the results, they thought, okay, great, we have the information, we have the evidence, we're just going to go out there and tell the public about it. There's no problem, right? People would listen and we would have policies in place very quickly to tackle the issue. But this is not at all what happened because, unfortunately, you have a substantial group of individuals in the world who absolutely refuse to believe in science. Now, personally, that's not a position I understand at all. So... They will jump to conspiracy theories where everything is an evil plot against them. Uh, oh, except the one they believe in. That one is true. Wink, wink. These people generally use anecdotal evidence and their own thoughts and feelings. It's not scientific data. And generally, they are quite misinformed and misguided. But these days, what happens online is everybody has an opinion. And if you post it on, say, Facebook, it creates a kind of illusion that it's a 50-50 problem. The thing is, it's not because, again, these people don't come into the problem from a scientific backing. They don't have any scientific backing for what they're saying. So I don't see why we should take them too seriously. And here we have an example because right now it's COVID. I'm recording this in 2021. COVID is, uh, is really dangerous out there. So I hope you're staying safe, first of all. Uh, but basically, this person here says he will die by gunfire before he dies by vaccination. And you have a bunch of likes to this post, a bunch of loves, reactions, etc. You have people who come into the comment section and basically reinforce that biased position. And it's a very strange position to have because vaccines have demonstrably reduced deaths. You look at uh, measles, for example, nobody really dies from measles these days. Maybe a hundred years ago, yes, you had many infections and many deaths, but these days, not really. I mean, you'd have to be very unlucky to die from measles. Same goes for mumps, rubella, smallpox. When you look at hepatitis A and hepatitis B, you still see an 88 and 83% reduction, respectively, in deaths. So overall, vaccines are working. It is not really a matter of debate. And it's especially not a debate if you come into it as a scientifically illiterate person. But these people tend to be very vocal. It's a vocal minority, or I hope it's a minority, but it's still unfortunate. Uh, they know how to use platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram very well. So let's talk about the history of climate change. And the history is actually relatively recent. We always like to think about professions like doctors that have been around for thousands of years. You can go back to ancient Egypt days, and there were doctors then uh, trying to make people feel better if they got sick. But climate science is relatively new. It's roughly 200 years old. And of course, at the beginning, it was pretty crude. So in the 1820s, there was a French scientist called Joseph Fourier. Uh, he's actually credited uh, for coming up with the greenhouse effect theory. But you still, in this diagram, you still see very big gaps between the discoveries, so to say. And in the 1960s, Manabe and Weatherold produced the first model of Earth's entire climate. And for me, that's where things really get interesting. And this is important because uh, technology keeps evolving. And now we are able to build complex climate models. Now, climate models are basically lines of computer code 
that represent the Earth, the atmosphere, oceans, and how things interact. Now, with better technology, you can increase the resolution of these models. And what I mean by that is the resolution here. Uh, you have to think about it as kind of a Lego block. The smaller they are, the better, because you can have more accuracy in the said region of the planet. Now, the typical resolution, as I'm recording this in 2021, is 100 by 100 kilometers, which is pretty good, but you still need to do a fair amount of approximations. It's okay, though, because these models function very well, even with those approximations. So, when we talk about climate change, it's important to note the difference between weather and climate. Many people, unfortunately, still confuse the two. Weather is defined as the day-to-day -day state of the atmosphere and a short-term local variation in minutes to weeks. I have some apps on my phone, and the best ones can typically predict up to about two weeks in advance. And after that, it becomes fairly uncertain. Weather encapsulates things like humidity, precipitation, cloudiness, visibility, and wind. Lately, they also added things like the AQI or air quality index because in some countries, the air quality is not good. And I'm sure you've seen images of people in Beijing or in New Delhi wearing a mask as to not inhale too many dangerous particles. This was before COVID. This is already happening. And this is not a distant future again. This is already happening right now and it has been for a couple of decades. Climate, on the other hand, is defined its weather, but globally and averaged over a long period of time, generally 30 years or more. And you might say, well, hold on a second, because people these days typically live until their 70s or 80s, let's say. So how can you get data which is older than the entire life of the average human being? Well, there are many things you can do here. First of all, you can look at the historical data. Scientists in France, for example, measured historical grape harvest dates to reconstruct summer temperatures from 1370 to 1879. That's not bad at all. That's 500 years of data. Moreover, you can look at things like corals, things like pollen. And usually when you see a climate change show on TV, they, they often talk about ice cores and also tree rings. So with ice cores, for example, what happens is each year you have a layer of ice that forms and per a certain measurement in centimeters, I'm not exactly sure uh, how many, many centimeters it is, but you get a year's worth of information. So the further you can dig into the ice, the more data you can get. Uh, with trees, every ring represents a year, as you know, and you can identify the atmospheric conditions. For example, Tree rings usually grow wider in warm, wet years, and they are thinner in years when it is cold and dry. These sources, by the way, are called proxies, and they can extend our knowledge of weather and climate uh, from hundreds to millions of years. Uh, in the next lesson, we will talk a little bit more about the role of greenhouse gases. Hey guys, thanks for listening. I recommend checking out the website because it has visuals. It also has a quiz section and answer section. Uh, the easiest way to find it is to go to Google and type Epic Climate Change Course. And usually it brings up the listenable link, but that's just an audio link anyway. 
but there might be a YouTube video which has a picture of a tree, a forest, basically. Uh, and so that's it. If you click on that, there is a link in there to the main website. So unfortunately, I don't have a domain, so I don't have a direct link. But anyway, uh, stay tuned for more.